What's up, guys? Welcome back to the No Backboard Podcast. It's been a little while. Um, college gets in the way sometimes. Today, we've got a little bit of a special podcast. We are cleaning the glass. I have Joseph Gill back, and he is going to attack Holyfield's official big board, the first one for the draft. And it should be... Uh, Amusing, <laughs> because when you have, it was a bit of a democratic process assess, uh, assembling that big board, and some players ended up in some weird spots due to some uh, uh, tactics used to get people moving around. But uh, before we did that, we kind of wanted to take a trip down memory lane and talk about one of the first interactions that Joseph and I had in terms of basketball, and that was the legendary Chris Porzingis <laughs> article on the. Oh God, is is it legendary or is it infamous? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on your perspective. Yeah, I mean, truly. I wanted to drop the Star Wars quote there, but I couldn't I couldn't think of it. Uh, I'm blanking. Um, <laughs> anyway, it was posted up on the now defunct baysgod.com, my old website before I worked at Holyfield. And well, why don't you explain what happened before you even ta- talk about what the Porzingis article was about? Just explain what happened with it. Well, so what happened with it was I wrote this article about Chris Stapp's Porzingis, and it took off like wildfire on us. Um, it actually got uh, got mentioned in, uh, on Grantland.com, which was my favorite uh, writing website at the time, and it also got picked up by ESPN in one of their videos about Chris Stapp's Porzingis. Um, I've never been able to confirm or deny if Chris Stapp's himself read it, but I do know uh, I have had multiple discussions with people around the NBA, including people who work in front offices, and it comes up, and I actually have to own up to the fact that I wrote the article, um, and you know it, it, it is interesting whenever that that enters into the conversation because the article was a complete whiff uh, for a number of reasons. But I I don't shy away from owning it because it actually had a really interesting like it turn in my in my life, especially my basketball life. And so I think I I'm actually kind of happy that I wrote it, even though it's been it's been kind of a a thorn in my butt ever since. But it made some changes in my life for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it that was something else. You hit on two guys. Well, you hit on Robbie Hummel and you whiffed on Kristaps Porzingis. And yep. Well, I hit on Okafor too. Jalil Okafor. I like to that's think true. I, I hit yeah. on him. That, yeah. that article didn't take off. No, no, yeah. that one that one took <laughs> off in a different way with uh, with media people around Philadelphia. Uh, at least yeah. in that one, calculus one did. But uh, the the Porzingis article is basically three thousand words of me just shitting all over Chris Stapps at 18 years old. And you weren't wrong about a lot of your points. You just came to the wrong conclusion. Well, I, I, I was wrong. I think I think I'm like I think everyone's pretty much you know aware of the fact that like he's been fantastic, especially he's taken a leap. I think every single year there's been a noticeable improvement in his game. Um, hopefully that'll you know keep going into his fourth year coming out of this ACL tear. But when you go back and you read the article, you know the language is really really harsh, and you know I think that that really caused a uh, you know like a, when, when I look back on it, you know I think about it like I, that was a moment where I was like okay like hard takes are fun if you're going to be a writer. If you're trying to be a basketball person, you need to be much more nuanced. And, you know, if, if I could go back, there's so much I would change about that article to try and make it, you know, more fair to him, you know, more fair to the overarching point, you know, what I thought of him as a player. You know, I come off as somebody who just absolutely is like, you know, the old man, get off my lawn, you know. And, like, I was very down on him. I think that shines through. But, you know, like, there were some things that, like, during the editing process, like, where I was – I felt like I was giving him, you know, too much credit when, in fact, I wasn't giving him enough. 
Um, and yeah, you know, and, and it's interesting because at, at that time, you know, like I was writing articles on the side and I wasn't really thinking about being a media person. I still, I, I was coming off of my, my just disaster of a college career at the basketball level, you know, knee injuries left and right. And I finally had to hang it up at about, I think 20, 21 years old. And I started writing these articles, but you know, on the side, I'd network around the NBA. When I networked around the NBA, like my selling point was always like, hey, like I'm a 21 year old, 20 year old kid who, you know, like I was at one point a basketball recruit, you know, it kind of got away from me, but like I'm somebody who can like mend the eye test with analytics. And that was my big selling point. And I'm like, oh, I'm an eye test guy first, but I get numbers. And, you know, when you go back and you look at that Porzingis article, it's all eye tests, really. I mean, like I reference like some basic statistics, but it's basically just the eye test. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like when I look back on it now, like that was the big lesson I took away from it was that like, you know, like it, I'm not good enough as an eye test person. And I've, I've, I believe there are very few people in the world who are good enough to be MBA level professionals on their eye tests alone without playing the political game, without, you know, like uh, buttering up people. Um, and that was a moment for me where I was like, you know, like, and it, it's funny because uh, a, a person in my life who, who really helped me with this was a uh, Cy Amundsen, who is the guy who runs Sports Center on Snapchat. He's a stand-up comedian, but he's also a big sports guy. And we're close friends. And one day he kind of sat me and I was like, "Hey, dude, like, you know, no one's gonna buy your fucking sob story. You know, this whole idea of like, ooh, I was gonna go play overseas, and you know, like, and then my knees gave out, but I can help you in the NBA." He's like, "You know, there are so many other people who made it so much higher than you in basketball that if you were serious about this basketball thing, you need to get serious about like, you know, how you're presenting yourself and your narrative and your skill set." And and, you know, between those two things in conjuncture, that was when I was like, you know, I'm a transition from somebody who's like, the eye test is all that I'm going to do, but I'm backing up some numbers into someone who's like, the numbers come first and the eye test comes second. And, you know, without writing that that piece, I don't think that I start working with NBA clients. I don't think I start working with top NCAA guys. I don't think that I, you know, I'm able to get as far as I have, you know, in this world, you know, mm-hmm. if I don't kind of have that like, oh, wait, I'm not shit moment, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry that's, for the TED the talk. Yeah. No, it's fine. <laughs> that yeah. thing, that whole article blowing up was hilarious. And I really did take away like some useful stuff. Like it really came down to, you had some points about Porzingis. You said he'd always be skinny. And I mean, that's pretty much true. He's seven foot three. He can't really put on much weight without being worried about his knees. I mean, at the weight he's at, he already had the knee issue. Um, you said his shot is wonky, and it's like a uh, – I forget the term you used, a slingshot shot. I, I, no, he wasn't He wasn't so much a slingshot guy. He, was, he wasn't at that time shooting with a consistent motion. If you go back and you're able to actually watch his, uh, his team's full game tapes on YouTube, at least you were able to during that time. That's what I was basing my takes off of. And it just looked like he wasn't quite comfortable taking, you know, like three-pointers, and the shot was a little bit, you know, here and there. And I mentioned that, you know, like – I. The, the part that I wasn't even like conceptualizing was that and I'm a six eight dude, but like Chris Stapps is like a legit seven two seven three. I mean, he probably stopped growing like the summer before that ACB you know season in Spain started over there. And I, you know, it's funny you bring up the skinny part too because I remember Grantland. Like I think it was Danny Chow just absolutely roasted me because I was looking for a a scientific way to describe you know his body type, and I landed and after a little a brief googling search, I landed on the word ectomorph, which I guess is. <laughs> Is like, and this this should have been another Google trade that I just did not do. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. It was in like some weird, weird <laughs> knockoff Men's Health magazine. I guess like that whole like like bridge of pseudoscience, like with that term in it, comes from this dude who was like anti-Semitic, and he was like trying to like say that like people of different races had different body types and that made like change the way they were as people. And like, and like I got these like weird messages. I'm like, no, dude, I just I was trying to say he was skinny, man. I, was, I wasn't trying to say anything <laughs> about like about like him as you a know, person. I'm saying he's skinny. <laughs> I that word came up. I think it was last semester in school 
during one of my um, oh, you must like childhood moment, development, yeah. <laughs> and I saw like ectomorph, and I'm like, holy shit, that's actually a real word. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, and that, that that also taught me that that taught me another important lesson of staying in my fucking lane. You know, like yeah, I should just call them skinny, but instead I'm like, I, I just seem smart here. Gotta sound I should seem smart, educated yeah. here. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Lavar Ball was a little bit too late on that one for me. <laughs> All right, let's bring it in to the um, to the big board. Um, so if you guys, hey, uh, hey, can I say want... something real fast? I know I know I've been yeah. talking a lot in the beginning of this podcast, but hats off to you guys for even having a big board. You know, like sixty people, sixty prospects, and I mean you have to weigh like 75, 80 different players, and even trying to even get all these ducks in a row, even if you're doing it, you know, the worst at anyone online, which I'm not saying you are. I think your big board is actually pretty solid. Um, it's hard. It's a very hard process to try and weigh, you know, like 60 to 70 to 80 very nuanced young players, pros and cons, and trying to project them into the future. And, you know, there's absolutely no way to get it 100% correct. And I don't think people give people who do this enough credit a lot of the time. Yeah. And we, if you guys want to check it out, holyfield.co should be the featured article by the time you listen to this. Um, we have a good hundred ish words on each prospect. I think we did a pretty good job getting them in the vicinity they needed to be. Eh. Uh, however, <laughs> however, due to on my part and some other people, um, a couple of us wanted to see prospects in certain areas and would overrate them or underrate them a little bit. And it resulted in some wonkiness. And I want to see if the players that Joe came up with line up with the guys who, uh, a little bit of shadiness going on behind the scenes. Um, Joe's going to tell us where what he would do with some of the names on the big board that stand out to him, uh, whether he'd move them up, down. Uh, you might want to look at the list on the website uh, just to see if for reference. However, we're going to do our best to mention numbers with everyone. So if you can't look at a screen right now, uh, you'll still have an idea of what we're talking about. So what's the biggest move you would make on the big well, board? I mean... I I don't even know where to start. There's two people who stand out to me. Only one of them's on the big board. You have in the first round, number 27, Grayson Allen. <laughs> no, hold and on. Alonzo Trier of Arizona, who full disclosure, I like we have a friendship, Alonzo and I, but like I, I can be I can be impartial. My whole job's being impartial, is not even ranked. Now hold on. What happened here, man? All right, I'm gonna tell you what happened. But first, I want to make it clear that this is a big board. This is okay. not a mock draft. So first round, second round, those distinctions Un- okay. are a Under- Understood. Top 30 then. Top 30 versus yeah. not listed in the top 60. Let's, let's – right. uh, yeah, okay. Next, I tried, man. I tried to get Trier <laughs> on there. <laughs> I had him all the way up at like 38. Don't, don't but- you follow me on Twitter? Just like send over a slideshow of all my tweets about his like a record-setting efficiency for the first 25 games I of the season so and hard, his play but- type PPPs and his rankings. You know, like like I I just I don't get it, man. He's like just like I so get- polarizing because he of all is- the headlines and it, it sucks. But as a player, he should be. I think I honestly, when I was looking at it. I think I had him somewhere 44, 42, and then I tried kicking him up to try to get him on because I saw he was, like, left off of a couple of lists. Ugh. You know, um, not left off, Ugh. but, like, off the past the 60 threshold because we all did about 75 to 80 prospects, like you said. And oh, then there was a just straight spreadsheet, um, you know, numerical value and just 
you know, figuring out who goes where. It was a complete mathematic process. Yeah, so, I, I, get, I get the math behind it, but I mean, you yeah. got to start a group like DM with those guys. I mean, we got to we got to talk some stuff. We out did, real fast. we did. We, okay, I did mention right. to them. I have raised the point of uh, Alonzo being left off, but I would like to hear your reasons why you think Allen is too high and why you think Trier is okay, too low. Let, let me just start with <laughs> Trier real fast because I want to I want to I, I want to set the groundwork for why he's left off, and that makes no sense to me. And I get it that like a lot of mock drafts have him in fluky areas but first of all I, I have spoken to agents around the league I've, I, who've, who've talked you know to other people in the know and I was a, I was worried for my buddy and I was like you know when the second suspension came around you know with the trace amounts in his system left over from you know the the incident in his sophomore season I was like is this going to affect his ranking and it came back unanimously no the NBA does not care about the NCAA's bureaucratic BS so you know rest easy on that one that that's not you know holding any weight going into the summer um secondly I mean like his on-court performance in my opinion just speaks for himself you know like I people say he's streaky I don't 100% agree I think everyone has up and down games to an extent you know when you're in such a, a public uh you know and just scrutinized position like he's been you know he's been in the top 25 his entire career you know rankings wise this team's always been one of the teams that's considered to be one of the contenders in the, in the NCAA tournament he's played alongside a lottery pick every single year he's been in, uh, in school you know so like there's a lot of eyes on him <clears throat> The way that he's responded to me has been unbelievable. I mean, his his true shooting percentage has increased every single year he's been in college, and he's never fallen below 60, which is unbelievable. You know, this season for the first thing was 25 games before the second suspension came in. He was on pace to break, like, a 28-year-old record for true shooting percentage and, you know, outpaced, like, Lou Alcindor, outpaced Bill Walton, outpaced, you know, like, Shaquille O'Neal. Anybody you can think of who's, who's an efficient scorer, I have a tweet in there that, like, lists the guys who realistically could have had a chance to be more efficient scorer than him. He beat him. So, you know, and, like – People say like he's oh he's he's good at one thing he's good at one thing like he is truly elite at three uh, play types you know he's number one uh, among people with uh, as many possessions in transition and PPP that's fantastic obviously I believe he's number eleven in point uh, pick and roll ball handling shooting and passing or in that, in that neighborhood and he's top one hundred in spot up shooting and these are all for people with you know a certain amount of possessions I think it's a hundred or you know or so possessions in Division one basketball only and when you think about the amount of guys you know in Division one basketball who are you know playing for you know upper western wyoming state who just sit in the corner and take three threes a game and are left completely open you know that's really saying something um on the flip side you know and then like to put that in perspective with someone like grayson allen you know like what is grayson allen's skill what is his like can't miss this is going to translate to the league nba he has deep shooting range out to about 28, 29 feet where he'll still shoot his normal jumper. He's not jumping six feet in the air like some guys do. He's not bringing the ball particularly low. That's big because that's one of the absolute crucial things for the guys who are a little less athletic who go to the NBA and end up being successful shooters. The most important thing to me always seems to be footwork and ability to stretch out. And Allen has those two things. His footwork coming off screens is fantastic. His spot-up footwork is fantastic. His release could be a little quicker. Um, but, again, we see guys in the NBA speed up their release all the time. Obviously, he's lacking in lateral quickness. Um, his defensive instincts seem to come and go. Um, he's definitely not 6'5 with a 7-foot wingspan like he's listed, which is absurd to me. Um I think we were talking beforehand. We agreed he's probably about 6'3", and he's got long arms, but he doesn't have Reggie Jackson long arms. Um, I think 
But I mean, if, if, I, if yeah. I can cut you off real fast, just talking about the NBA threes, I mean, Alonzo Trier is somebody who, on like, I believe it's like 120 attempts from NBA three range this season, shot 45%, mm-hmm. and roughly 60% of those were unassisted. Compare that with Grayson Allen, who shot about 35% off NBA threes, 175%, and only 25% were unassisted. Uh, excuse me. Um, yeah, only 25% were unassisted. That to me, I mean, like, that's night and day right there. I mean, yeah, Grayson Allen does have that range, but if you're talking about range and Trier has it much more in space with both, you know, the efficiency and the ability well, to create the that I'm, shot for I'm himself. Talking about range isn't as just talking NBA range. It's more as he can go even deeper because when you're shorter and less athletic, those, those are the shots you can get. I mean, when you see Ryan Anderson spotting up for three, he's not spotting up toes on the line. He's spotting up three, four, five feet behind. Same thing with Reddick sometimes. Same thing with Kyle Korver. Um, when you, a shooter makes the transition, that even deeper range seems to be even more crucial than it would be otherwise. But Allen still has a ton of deficiencies. I think, uh, I think they should be right next to one another on a, on, a, on a big board. If it was my own personal big board, I think they're both in the low 40s for me. I mean, I, 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 I think that Trier is somebody who is going to be able to interview well you know, during this process. He, you know, he doesn't really have a whole lot. Mm-hmm. They're both guys who can slip yeah, into the and, first and, round. Yeah, and I, I think the Trier, you know, will, will be able to go in and he'll be able to point at certain things in the <laughs> film and be like, you know, like, this is what I do well. My coach didn't always put me in a position to do that thing well. And, you know, like, Sean Miller's a great recruiter, but, you know, like, there were certain things that when I was watching his games this season, I just – it was a complete head-scratcher for me. Um, you know, like, that Buffalo game is, a, is just emblematic of all the problems this Arizona team had over the course of the entire season. Grayson Allen, you know, like, think what you will about Coach K. Coach K is, you know, at least a top five coach you know in all of college basketball like he always puts his guys in positions to succeed he always is you know like he's a mastermind like tweaking little things and putting guys in like their spots to get the ball you know at the perfect time for the looks that they need to succeed and Grayson Allen you know over the the course of four seasons just has never really blown me away as somebody who I'm like that guy is an NBA player you can't miss this and like yeah he's going to get drafted but I think that the team that ends up drafting him is going to you know look at back of that pick and think to themselves like we could have gotten somebody else could have helped us I mean I think you're right but I don't think you're right for the right reason necessarily like I think there's always a guy like Draymond Green or Manu Ginobili that comes up afterward and when we're talking oh, yeah. about these late first second round picks I mean, I think a Grayson Allen is far more useful to a good to great team than he is to any other team, to, you know, a mediocre team, an average team, even like a on-the-verge team. Um, he's a shooter off the bench who isn't atrocious on defense, can ball handle. You don't want him as the primary ball handler in any meaningful minutes, but as a secondary ball handler, you can be perfectly happy with him there. He can kind of play the one. He can kind of play the two. He's a good bench piece, and he projects as a good bench piece, and he's versatile in the ways you can use him. And for a good team, a great team that needs one more guard, you know, late in the first, maybe it's San Antonio, maybe it's, I don't know, Toronto or uh, any other of the top-tier teams in the league, I think he makes a lot of sense for them. But here's a question Um, for you, and this might sound crazy, but would you rather have Grayson Allen or Ron Baker on your team going into next season, assuming both are in good health? Because, I mean, the player you just described to me is Ron Baker. And, you know, like, Baker is somebody who can, like, handle the ball kind of. He can shoot, you know, like, out to range a little bit. He won't kill you on defense. He can throw nice passes. He works hard. You know, like, I those two players to me are just pretty much indistinguishable from one another. And I, I think Allen shot the ball better from three at Wichita, but 
you know, like I, I just, I, I don't, I don't think that his game is going to translate. I think he's going to find himself very quickly overwhelmed by superior athletes on the floor in the NBA, closing out on him hard, forcing him to make difficult decisions in the moment. I just don't think he's primed to do that. I think he already does that, though. It's not like he's getting by people in college. You know, like he's already he has to pull the ball up at eight, ten feet out because he can't get by guys. That's why he does that stupid floating runner all the time. Um, but I mean, like, it, I think it, with the Baker Allen comparison, though, I think it depends on the team again. You know what you have in Baker. Allen could be better, could be worse, slightly different skill set. I think Allen's a much better off ball player than Baker ever was. Um I think I go Allen, though, just because you could have something better. You could have, you know, a J.J. Redick type down the line. And Redick took forever to develop. And, you know, you have all kinds of different things. Obviously, it could be a Wayne Ellington type situation. You have all kinds of college shooters that translate in weird ways. And you never really can tell who's going to work out and who won't. But I mean, I, I just I think that people don't understand just like how much of a luxury Grayson Allen had playing for Duke this season almost. I think it's 40% of his uh, catch-and-shoot shots were unguarded, uh, tracked by Synergy. Excuse me, 40, I'm looking at the number right now. 45% of his catch-and-shoot shots were unguarded, according to Synergy. That's unbelievable. Like Someone like Trey Young, at, like uh, going into the conference tournament, I tweeted out, had only 13 unguarded looks all season. That's not something that you normally get as a luxury. You know, well, for Trey a, Young a, is an extreme situation. Yeah, yeah. But, can't really but at the same time, like guys who are you know put on big boards in the top 30 normally do not have multiple wide-open looks a game like Grayson Allen has had for his entire duty career and it still managed to be somewhat underwhelming i i don't know if 20 points a game for three years is very underwhelming i but again we're not going to agree on Allen. it's not like i we have them in similar areas it's really just you know the reasons why behind the scenes do you have any other guys on the big board that you want to move around um i want to i want to argue about grayson allen some more <laughs> i brought all this ammo to the grayson allen fight I, I, he only averaged 20 points a game one season by the way too and that was his, his sophomore season where the team was not very good i just I, yeah i agree with you that we're not just not going to agree about him but i just i don't understand how people look at grayson allen as somebody who is like pencil him in he, he can he can contribute he can do this he can do that to me he does not have a single identifiable can't miss NBA skill and like I look for my guys you know like when, I, when I'm thinking about like Grayson Allen like like take you talk about him handling the ball his PPP as a pick and roll ball handler is the exact same as his pick and roll ball handler passing the ball he does not make his teammates better in the easiest instance for a guard to make his teammates better and then hitting the roll man for open looks and that was it playing at Duke with like Marvin Bagley this season I mean like you're not going to have that advantageous of teammates comparatively to your opponent's team uh, teammates in like you know lineups uh, as he's had for four seasons at Duke as he's going to have on his next NBA team. You know, I, I just I, I I you know like I, I honestly to answer my own question. I'd rather have Ron Baker, and that might sound like a hater. That might sound completely off base, but I just do not believe in Grayson Allen on any level. All right, and that's fair. Yeah, but. Moving on, moving on to people pro- like to people uh, prospects that people probably care about. I do have a bit of an issue with the upper half of the lottery. I thought that got a little bit fluky. Yeah, and I mean the problem with the upper half of the lottery, and this is I think a problem on every big board where a group of people do it, is that no one agrees. Yeah, what you get is the average, and a lot of these guys like you either have eight and one, or you have them at like three. You either have John- Donkic at Don, John, da, blah, blah, blah. Luca. <laughs> Luca, yeah. Let's just call him Luca. <laughs> Screw it. <laughs> like, you either have Luca at one or like six. 
Like that's and you you end up with the average of that. MPJ is either a top three guy or like eight or nine, depending on how you view MPJ. So what you get in the end is an average, and there there are benefits and there are drawbacks to that. I mean, the benefit is pretty much everyone is going to be in the correct vicinity, you know, up or down a couple spots. But the downside is you're not going to really have a lot of guys that are legitimately in the correct spot. And I think that's one of the issues that we ran into in the top part of our board is that we disagreed on some prospects. And because of that, um, you know, Bagley being right next to Porter is weird. Yeah. Like you either would have one way above the other or like they they shouldn't be close in any board really at like three, four, like we have them. Well, to, I don't know. To, to me, the biggest, the, the biggest, like you know, if I were going through and I, I made my own little top five, top six, you know, just for mm-hmm. discussionary reasons. But to me, the biggest mover I would have upward. There's two big movers for me. I have Jaron Jackson Jr. I think he's the second best player in this draft. Um, he goes from six on your guys' board. He would go to two on mine. Um, I believe I, I still believe that Aiden, you know, and I've talked about this at length. You know, I watch a lot of Arizona. Um, Aiden is everything that you want to center on one hand and everything that like would scare you about a top overall pick on the other. And I just don't see a way out of that, that you know, I, I think you just have to roll the dice on him. I'm not a big Donchish guy, obviously. Um, see, so yeah, I, I have, I have a uh, Jackson jr. Moving to two. And then I do not understand how Trey young wound up at 10 on this big board and Colin Sexton wound up at seven. That, that to me does not, does not make a lot of sense. Trey young has a lot of, weirdness in the tape his numbers are fantastic you know and I'm a believer in any guy that manages to put up 10 threes a game I could not care less how many of those 10 threes you make. <laughs> I really couldn't because shot attempts to me is just such an underlooked stat if you're on a decent team you don't even have to be good just a competent or better team and you manage to put up that many shots that's a skill in and of its own right so I like them that said his footwork is wonky when it comes to pulling up, when it comes to spotting up, which we didn't get to see much this year. Um, he's not good at taking shots in the flow of the game, which some people buy more than others. It can be an identifier of someone who isn't really buying into the offensive system, but with a guy like Young, he kind of was the offensive system. Oh, yeah. So you don't really... It, it's so tough to scout guys like that, but I think... The reason why he's so low is because there is a significant one. He fell off the second half of the year. Yeah. And two, there's just such a disparity between the tape you're watching, the numbers that came up on basketball reference. Um, and I think that's kind of why he came down a little bit. Well, let and me Sexton. I don't know why Sexton shot up, but young, I think that's why young is at 10. Well, I, to, to touch on the young thing. And I, th- I think you're correct that like his footwork could be better. Um, at least like going into a shot. I think he actually like manages to do a very good job as like creating separation considering that every single player on defense is expecting him to shoot at any possible second. Oh, I completely agree. And the footwork is part of that. You can't read his feet yeah. to find the shot. But you know, like I, I think that it's one of those things where like, you know, 
I think we can both agree that Trey Young is going off the beaten trail of basketball development in the sense we're like, you know, if you talk about guys who are, who are trying to play the game like Trey Young's trying to play the game, he does not have very many people who can teach him how to do that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that there's almost nobody that he can go to in his like personal network and be like, hey, I'm having an issue with this thing, coach. What can I do to direct that situation? Because like when you're on that Steph Curry archetype, when you're in that Steve Nash archetype, you know, like there is no conventional wisdom because there's just not been enough data points where we can get together and like figure out the correct way to go about this so he's learning out a lot of these things for himself which is like you know on one hand you know i think that explains a lot of the wonkiness but on the other it's it makes me like him even more because it shows that he's somebody who's able to you know think for himself think laterally you know like ask questions about the game on a deeper level and come away with something meaningful by way of a conclusion you know to talk about the uh the catch and shoot though aspect i mean like trey young you know when he gets into the league he's not going to have the type of like attention that he saw at Oklahoma. There's just no possible way. You know, you could put him on the Orlando Magic and he's not going to see as much defensive defensive attention as he did at Oklahoma because, you know, like as much as I like to ride someone like like Vucevic or somebody like, you know, like his Onja, you know, like those two guys are on the, on the team, you have to somewhat pay attention to them. You can't just, you know, drop everything like they did this season in college and play and just guard Trey Young. Um second, you know, like to tie into that point, he guess how many possessions he had this season and catch and shoot opportunities that he did not have to create for himself off the dribble. I know it's maybe thirty. Thirty. Well, it was sixty. Um, to put that in perspective, that yeah, no, no, not at all. And like, and to put that in perspective, he shot 177 jumpers off the dribble. He shot 21 mm-hmm. unguarded catch and shoot uh, jump shots all season and had a points per possession of exactly two on them. I have never seen a points per possession of two beyond like a 10 shot sample size in my entire life. And yeah, 21 shots is not that many, but two is fucking absurd. That makes no sense in my brain that somebody could get two points every single time they had an unguarded jump shot. I mean, I remember once I saw a PPP of 1.49 on like a 50 size uh, possession sample size. And I thought that was just so absurd. I called up my college coach and I told him about it over the phone. Like a two is just like, you, you don't see that. You know, like like if, if Joel Embiid had uncontested dunks, you know, for an entire season, his PVP probably be like one point nine nine because he would like flub one of them. You know, oh, he'd flub one more. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, when he put it all together, his catch and shoot over the course of the season on sixty possessions was close to, was one point three nine seven. So round up to one point four. Like, you know, even if he only gets one or two catch-and-shoot possessions a game in the NBA or coming off a screen in the NBA, that's significant. He can put the ball in the basket. And he's only 19 years old, you know? Like, I think he's also falling victim to the fact, like, we're comparing him to Steph Curry, you know, at Davidson. But Steph Curry was 22-23, excuse me, 21-22 at Davidson. You know, this guy's 19. He was 18 for some of the season, I believe. You know, like, I, I think it's just an apples-to-orange comparison. Mm-hmm. To me, I see a little bit of Damian Lillard in him, even though – Young works the pick and roll a lot better. I see a lot of Mahmoud uh, Abdul Ralph, you know, Chris Jackson in him too. Um, obviously, the game has changed so much since then, but just a kind of similar body type, similar wonkiness with the feet. Um, I think they could project to be pretty similar basketball players in the pros, honestly. I would love to see the Knicks take Trey Young. I know that's kind of oh, that'd be topic, weird, but, but that, yeah, that that honestly would be probably the best thing they could possibly do. Him and Porzingis, yeah. would be a match made in heaven or hell, um, <laughs> depending on how he translates. And you know, the New York media tends to enjoy attacking people who are being less than uh, successful. 
Anyway, uh, who else did you have? You had Colin Sexton. You found him too high. Why is that? Um, you know, I just, I generally, you know, unless, the, 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 you know, like an archetype that I do not particularly believe is as valuable as people say it is, is the very athletic, high usage point guard who does not get a lot of assists. Uh, to me, that's Colin Sexton to a T. Um, you know, based on, you know, like how many shots he took his usage rate this season versus the amount of assists he had, I think he only averaged like 3.8 assists and he took mm-hmm. up about, you know, between the shots and the turnovers, I want to say close to 20 possessions a game. Uh, that's kind of ridiculous to me. Um, obviously like there's some stuff going on behind the scenes that caused that, like, you know, like he was the entire team, you know, he's not one of those guys like, you know, like Trey young, who was 18 at one point during the season. Um, but either way, like, you know, if you're going to if you're going to take that many shots with the field, you have to make your teammates better. And I just really don't believe that like Sexton did that. Also, when watching the tape on Sexton, you know, like, you know, speaking of the numbers, actually, first, there's not really one thing he really hangs his hat on that I think is going to translate well to the NBA. Um, a lot of his percentile rankings on synergy hover within the 40 to 60th percentile. So very close to average. Um, average never really blows me away. You know, it does not matter how many, uh, how many possessions he has to do. If he's only scoring an average efficiency, roughly, he's not going to help his team win games. Cause he's just passing the buck onto somebody else who has to then score above average efficiency to give their team an advantage. Um, the one thing that he did do well, um, he scored off of the, uh, the pick and roll for himself at a very high rate, um, in the 87th percentile at a 0.957 points per possession. The issue I have with that, though, is that when he tried to pass the ball in pick and roll, his pick and roll uh, shots, including passes, possessions, is a 0.907. So he was actually 0.05 points per possession worse when you include his passing out of the pick and roll. That's a big red flag to me. I like my guards, if they have any you know, ability to play point or combo guard, I like that number, the PPP, to be higher when you include the passes than to be lower because if it's lower at the college level, you can only blame so much on your teammates. You know, like it, it is your responsibility as a guard running the pick and roll to help free up your guys for open shots at the rim. You know, anybody at the college level, especially in the, the Power Five conference, should be able to roll hard to the rim and they will be open enough of the time if you're a high usage player and that's your job to find them. And yeah. I just. I was very kind of overwhelmed, underwhelmed with a lot of sex in this season. I think that like he'll probably be one of those guys, like you know Dennis Smith Jr., who gets drafted. The team that drafts <clears> loves <throat> him. The fans, you know, fall in love with him. He plays hard. He plays with a lot of energy. He puts up the bulk numbers to a decent degree, but the efficiency is just never there, and you just can't build a team with him being the number one or number two option. So you think he's like DJ Augustine? Um, I think they're very different players from one another. Uh, I think no, but I mean that level that level guy i mean it's it's always it's always hard with these with these like explosive shoot first point guards because like the real the difference between being an efficient player and an inefficient player like if you're shooting like 48 percent from the field and you're getting the line a decent amount you're probably scoring at above average efficiency and that's something like normally you see 48 percent with like most players and you just assume they're just not helping their team unless they're three-point shooters but um yeah, I, I, I these, these to me are always the hardest prospects to nail down because, like, on one hand, you know, like you can have, um, uh, man, who's been who's been even like a, a hyper athletic point guard has come out, you know, in the past five drafts has been successful. I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. I don't count Giannis as one of those guys, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Zach Levine isn't a point guard, you know. Jamal Murray, uh, he's, not he's a shooter. Yeah, 
you know, I was I was going to compare one of these guys who's been successful to the Malin Moutiers of the world, but you know, now that I think about it more, like there's two types of players: there's the De'Aaron Foxes and there's the Emmanuel Moutiers. You know, like pick your poison. You know, like you can love those guys, but like they're not going to help you win a lot of games, probably. Oh, um, Marcus Smart. Ah, oh, yeah, but even even he, I mean, like you know, he's somebody who probably helps his team more than he hurts his team, but he still hurts his team significantly. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's weird. The one thing though that I think attributed to that um, difference between, you know, passing off the pick and roll and, and scoring, he just snaked the pick and roll so goddamn often. Um, and that basically kills any chance that you're given the big man if you have to dump it off. Oh, yeah. Because he would just snake it, and then he'd, he'd take that hop step inside that everyone loves to take, and, of course, he'd pick up his dribble and then give it to some poor big man who's already got two hands in his face yep. who'd have to then kick it outside or brick a heavily contested layup. Yeah. Um, whether that's him or part of the game plan, I don't know. I don't know whether that counts against him or not. But that's just something I saw in watching clips on him that that um, stood out. He, like it was actually kind of weird how often he. I guess it makes sense given his athleticism and how skinny he is. Um, but and I mean, it's weird it, it, to see a guy do it that often. And to be fair to him, I mean, like there were games this season where you watch Colin Sex and you're like, holy shit, you cannot guard this guy. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, it, like uh, you know, there's not very many point guards in this league who are just absolute just sieves anymore, you know, guys that just can't stay in front of anybody. But, you know, like, if you put, like, Colin Sexton in front of Evan Fournier and the Magic and say, like, hey, like, Evan, stop this guy 10 possessions in a row. It's just not going to happen. But the problem mm-hmm. is, you know, like, if that's your entire game and you're, the entire value you bring to your team, you know, at some point the rubber's going to hit the road and you're going to look up and, you know, like, Marcus Smart's looking you in the eyes or, you know, like, Sean Livingston's looking at you. And you're going to have to prove that you not only just fast and quick, but you know the game. You can still get your buckets at an efficient level, and that's very hard to do. Is there a more intimidating point guard defender in the league right now than Marcus Smart? I mean, I think I'm, – I'm picturing him guarding me. On the oh, it's not fun. And he's one of the few guys who I would just be like, I'm not dribbling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think it's Marcus Smart only because Ricky Rubio is so cuddly. Like you look up and you see Ricky Rubio and you're like, I I have I hung out with Ricky, Ricky Rubio. Rubio. If Ricky yeah. Rubio was guarding me in a pickup game, I would try attacking him and he would have a wide open layup on the other end that because he's Ricky Rubio, he would probably miss. I, but I would attack him. Have ever told you he, my uh have ever told you my Ricky Rubio story about rehab? No. So when I was seventeen years old, I ripped up my ACL and it just so happens that it rehab with the Timberwolves. And Ricky Rubio then tore his ACL a few months later against the Lakers, and we ended up doing, like, our timelines were very similar to one another. So we were, like, always, not always, but constantly, like, like once a week, I would just have a session with Ricky Rubio. Like, the trainer's working on him on one bench, and then, like, I, there's, like, the trainer, and then, like, on the next bench over is me. And it's, like... You know, like, Ricky's just, first of all, like, the nicest guy in the world. Like, I met a lot of Timberwolves at that time, and, like, he was probably the nicest. Um, Brad Miller's also up there. But, like, R- Ricky did not speak that much English at that point because he was a rookie from Spain. Anyway, I I was a good shooter when I played basketball. I was a very good shooter. I was a knockdown guy. And, like, they had a, they had a, a hoop there with NBA balls. And that was my first experience ever shooting with an NBA ball. And I was like, holy shit, this sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, when I was 16, 17, I was like, how does any NBA player airball a shot? Because, like, you know, I'm used to the college balls, and those balls are so nice, and they come off your hand with such a nice snap. The NBA balls just kind of knuckleball on you. So, like, one day I get cleared finally to take some jump shots, and I'm all excited because I'm like, I've I'm, I'm missed shooting so much. Like, such as only did so much for me. And then I, I hop out there. Like, I step out the three-point range. I don't even really warm up. I take a three-pointer. 
and it misses by four feet. And I just turn around, and Ricky Rubio is laughing and pointing at me from the bench. He's laughing his ass off. And I was like, all right, Ricky, I get it. I'm, I'm on your side now. I'm on your side. <laughs> Man, physical therapy sucks. I have a, like, I had physical therapy after I tore up my knee um, playing basketball, but it was with one of my former rugby teammates who we went to school, like, 50 miles away from where I was rehabbing. I don't know how the hell he ended up in the same place I did, but he had just gotten Tommy John surgery and was rehabbing different things. And one of my things in rugby was I was a hell of a kicker. I would punt and kick the hell out of the ball. And <laughs> lo and behold, they had me try to lift a, I think it was a three pound dumbbell taped to my foot. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't no do chance. it. And the dude was yep. just like, oh, you're making that 50-yard punt now. Because I used to just brag about punting the ball 50 yards. Like, oh, I could punt better than a punter on the football team. You know, I'd brag <laughs> and shit talk a ton. He's like, oh, 50 yards, right? I'm like, oh, fuck off, Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, physical therapy stories. I mean, coming back and having your body just incapable of what it, you're used to it being able to do is just an experience that – no one will ever find enjoyable i mean hey man imagine how i felt like i went from being somebody who like had like a good like body image of myself and my strength and i had to go and like nikola pekovic's like mountain of a man <laughs> is just like squatting like a horse <laughs> over on the uh on the rehab machine I'm just like oh fuck this man like this doesn't seem right <laughs> you know what my big issue my biggest issue coming back because uh, you know i was an okay basketball player before that i wasn't playing in college or anything like that uh my big thing was i could jump really well for like a random white dude in the gym and since i've come back i have screwed up so many wide open fast like not wide open but semi-contested fast break layups i go for my old finger roll and then by the time i'm ready to release the ball i realize i'm about to hit the ground <laughs> instead yeah, of being up by there. the rim and i just nail the bottom of the backboard of the rim in a panic <laughs> it's one of the, i nail myself in the face with it coming off the rib it's one of the most hilarious things in the world uh it's awful Anyway, let's get back to the topic at hand. Anybody else on the big board you want to comment on? Uh, yeah, I've got um, I've got next. Uh, I only have about five more players actually. I have the two athletic wings in the uh, in the lottery. I mean, like in my opinion, the two most like mm -hmm. athletic, you know, finger quotation, like wings in the uh, in, in the in the in the lottery. And I say these guys aren't athletic who are not named. But anyway, um, Michael uh, Porter Jr. at four. Um, that seems pretty high to me. That that seems like still riding like the high school hype, and you know obviously like it's one thing if you just believe that Michael Porter Jr. is going to be 100% by next season, um, and like you know like he's going to show no ill effects. But like this was a loss year for Michael Porter Jr. Like maybe he picked up some stuff like you know like coaching wise um, at Mizzou, but like he has family members at, like coaching at Mizzou. I don't think there was a whole lot of new information that he needed to like take in and like, you know, accept or, you know, like deny that could have helped his game reach a new level is probably just most of the stuff he's been hearing his entire life anyway. Um, as far as like the on-court skill stuff and like the, the, the strength training, that's, you know, an absolute wash, you know, like he probably went backwards, you know, it's, it, it's crazy. You can go and like, obviously you're not seeing like the same Michael Porter Jr. You'd be hoping to see, but, like if you hop on Synergy, if you got an account, you can watch literally every single scoring and turnover like possession of his over the course of the entire season about like four minutes mm -hmm. like there's only 37 possessions and like you can kind of see the outline of somebody who could be like a really efficient scorer in this league but like it's just it's just all in slow motion you Back know like injuries six... are so scary to me yeah for college players oh yeah i mean evan turner 
He needed yep. that last. I mean, we've had this debate many times before, but if you give him back that sliver of athleticism, I mean, we're talking single percentage points here. Like, you know, yeah. maybe 5% of his athleticism he lost from that back injury. You know, random number. It could be around there. You give him that back, he's probably a star in the NBA. Not yeah, a superstar, but he's getting by people that he's just having to do that turnaround jumper on now. Yep. And the difference, exactly. Evan Turner right now is a below average NBA player, even if his contract doesn't speak to that. The difference between superstar and bench scorer is just so thin in terms of athleticism. And athleticism is so tied into confidence when, you know, if you were at one point athletic, it's just, it's so worrying to me. I hate trying to scout guys who are coming from back injuries or um, multiple ligament tears in the knee. I don't care if you just tear your MCL or your ACL. If you hurt multiple, though, then I'm taking a step back and I'm worrying a little bit. Agreed. Very much agree. And, like, I I was very adamant um, when it was announced that he was going to play the conference tournament and then play for the rest of the season. I thought he was making a gigantic mistake Um, for him – for for him to go four, he would need to have like a hell of a workout in front of the team that has a fourth overall pick. I I don't see a path for him to go in the top three, you know, between like DeAndre, Luca, Marvin Bagley, and uh, Jared Jackson Jr. and even Mo Bamba. It's yeah, it all is all on the teams. If a team that needs a scorer is picking, I think the Kings take Porter in a heartbeat. Yeah, if that they, was that was also the team I was thinking of. That's this is this is right up the Kings alley. This is right up. They need um, they need a scorer they can feed the ball. They need yes. a guy that Buddy Heald can play off of. I'm still convinced that Buddy Heald can be a fantastic secondary scorer. He's not a primary guy, at least not yet. Yeah, but uh, it's just like I he he's not even on my top six, uh, my, my personal big board. And I don't know where he would actually wind up, you know, if I, if I really flesh this thing out. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, you know, like he, he, he just looks so slow and so unexplosive out there during what we have to go off of. And obviously he's out of shape and he's still rusty from what we're going off of, but it was just not a good look. And like I said, he, he's going to have to have a hell of a workout and prove that that athleticism and that like, you know, like first step and that like rise up ability is, uh, is, is going to be there in the NBA for him to be taken in the upper half of the lottery. And like, he's a person to me who has like the widest range of like possible draft slots in the top 15 of the draft. Yeah. I don't, I think he's going to get picked higher than you think just because I think a lot of teams are going to see his floor as being a Morris brother without the Oof. issues of being a Morris brother, like being crazy and punching people. Um, but like, w- wouldn't, wouldn't like having a little bit more Morris brother in him probably be good because like when I watch him play, like obviously he's probably has some like injury concerns in the back of his mind, but he does not appear to have a whole lot of toughness around the rim. Like he gets bodied up. I think that's pretty easily. I'm pretty sure that's the back end. And it could be, but like then again, then you're asking yourself, is that back in a heel to the point where he's like where he's 100 percent? He feels confident acting like a Morris. Oh, I don't think I don't think it's necessarily the injury itself that's causing him to be soft inside. I just know, coming off an injury, I had two major ones. I did not attack the rim hard afterward. It took me a while to just get that instinct back. Because you That's go true. in and you think of when you got hurt. Or you think of what could happen to get hurt if you didn't get hurt in like an active situation. And you think, 
you know, as you're going up, you're like, holy shit, what if I land this way? What if I land this way? And of course, you're going to contort your body away from contact. You're going to go up a little softer. It's it's a hesitation that you have to get rid of. We saw Derek Rose struggle with it with his knees before um, they got repeatedly hurt over and over again. You know, coming back from the first and second knee injury, he would go in hesitant and he wouldn't go up hard. And I think that a lot of the same applies to back injuries like with Porter. Um, no, I agree. I, think you I, have I, to I very see much him. agree. This is why I wish... I know it's impossible because you don't want guys getting hurt. I wish you could have a summer league before, before the, draft. the draft. Yeah. I know you can't. Like, I understand that it's an impossible thing until you get rid of the draft entirely and you just have contracts and stuff like that. Also, but. let me let me just add in real fast that, like, the number one reason why it would never work is because, like, as somebody who has talked to these guys before the draft and, like, gauges where their head's at, like – I'm not sure if there'd be 10 passes all game. Like you could never, like you could never drop a situation where last year De'Aaron Fox would ever pass Lonzo Ball the ball for an open three. He would just refuse. You know, like it's just you have too much to lose to pass Lonzo the ball, and you'll just say like, "Oh, I didn't see him." You know, like, "Oh, but you looked right at him." Like, nah, I didn't think it was that open." You know, like Lonzo like would have bricked it anyway. Yeah, I mean, he might have, but like, you know, like I, 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 I've talked to guys who like aren't even on draft boards. And they're like, "So I think I'm gonna go top five? And I was like, I don't think you're going to go top five. You know, like, I, I'm just going to let you know. Like, I, I believe in you. I don't think you're going to go top five. Like, you, you're going to have to probably spend a few years in Europe before you're even thinking about the NBA, buddy. You know? So, yeah, just, like, there, there's a lot of reasons why it, would never, why it would never work. But, like, I think the players themselves are reason number one. Yeah. It's uh, – sorry, sorry to put a pin in that. Like, as I would love to no, see no, it, too. No. It would be I, so I much fun. No, no, It would just be so yeah. cool. <laughs> that would be so much fun. Put yeah, a but... clone Ricky Rubio and put four Ricky Rubios and then a player <laughs> on each team and just have 30 teams, 30 players, and then uh, – Well, the, prob- the problem with that would be then the players would stop passing to Ricky Rubio. Like, that, like that's that's the next progression of this. Is that, like, they would just freeze out Ricky Rubio and they would just keep playing their one-on-one game. Dude, like, there's no winners, man. four Ricky Rubios. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? That's, that's what you need. Like, imagine four all Ricky the Rubios. missed layups. Yeah, we need you need four Ricky Rubios on one team and Mo Bamba, and then the other team would be four Ricky Rubios and DeAndre Ayton. That that'd be the only like like possible way to make this thing work. The elbow dip jumpers and the the missed layups, <laughs> the trademark of Ricky Rubio. Anyway, exactly. anybody else in the draft you want to comment on? Um, you you want you want me to do some quick hitters real fast? Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, Kevin Knox at twelve. Um, he's one of those guys where like you're not taking him at 12. He's a sure thing. You're taking him, projecting that he could improve in a lot of different areas and become a high level NBA player. Um, he's somebody right now who like his floor is probably very low, but his ceiling is possibly very high. I'm not a big believer. Like I think those guys are best like drafted like past 18 or so. I think 12 is kind of reaching for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he absolutely pounds the ball um, like on his open uh, fast break dunks, but like. He just he struggles so much with turnovers. I mean, like you, like you look at like transition scoring, for example, which is like one of his better play types efficiency wise. At uh, one point three four PPP, he turns the ball over almost twenty percent of his possessions in fast break. That's just something that you just cannot ever have in the NBA. You know, that's throwing points away. Um, so yeah, I, I think that he's probably somebody who like should be bumped down a little bit. Um, we already talked on Jared Jackson Jr. and how I think he's probably the second best player in this draft, at least personally at this moment. Um, Doncic, I would have lower. Um, I am not a big believer in his game being like as NBA ready as other people are. 
my litmus test for the eye test is always separation. And I know I just like talked about like Trey Young and like his inability to create separation, his inability for his team to create separation for himself. You know, if you put Dunkic on Oklahoma with the same like supporting cast as Young had this season, I'm not sure if they win more games. I don't think that that Dunkic would be able to even like break free from the pressure as well as Young has. I just think he's a step slow. Um, I think that like when he does like create off the dribble, like he really needs to be attacking a European player, someone who's just a little bit slower on defense, who's not quite as explosive, someone who's not quite as locked in as some of these American players will be. Um, I'm just not sure like what his like hang your hat on skill in the NBA is going to be. I'm not as big of a believer in his passing. I'm not as big of a believer in his shooting, even though I think he's probably a better shooter than uh, 30% from the field would, uh, excuse me, 30% from three would lead you to believe. Um, I, I just, I, I'm not buying into the hype on him. I think that, uh, I, I think that there's a lot going on for this hype train to be building up. And I just like, you know, w what's his position? Let's just start there. Like, is he a point guard? You, you think he's fast enough to play point guard in this league? I think you, I think if he's a point guard, you need, you need a Gary Harris next to him. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And if he's not a point guard, then he's what a shooting guard, uh, point forward, small forward. So he's the European um, Tyreek Evans. Yeah, I just like I, I think he's one of those guys where like it, it's going to be easy to like kind of like build a like um, a foundation around him that will allow him to like put up some numbers on some decent stats, like, you know, and like, like throw a few cool passes a game. But like, as far as like the X's and O's of winning basketball games, he needs to take that jump in explosiveness to get that separation consistently to be a truly great player in this league, in my opinion. And the track record of European players, especially guards coming over at any age and becoming more explosive and put on the NBA strength training regimen is not very good. I think if he drops past four, I think the Nuggets trade everyone who's not named Jokic and Harris to draft him. I can see that. I think Jamal yeah. Murray, good as gone. I think you know <laughs> anyone they can. I think I think that'd be a mistake, but I could see that. Like I, I think I think Murray could easily have a better career when it's all said and done than Doncic. And we'll we might look back on on his highlight tapes and be like. One of two things, like, oh, he was so polished, he was so refined. How could we not see it? Or we could, we could say to ourselves, like, yeah, like, yeah, damn, you, Adam you Morrison was also keep, polished and refined. You can't keep an American in Denver. You can keep a uh, European in Denver. True, very true. No, no American player wants to be what is it, six hundred miles away from the nearest big city. I mean, Denver's a pretty big city. The problem that Denver is, has working against them the is, is like the gender just, breakdown. You can't. Vegas isn't. A three-hour drive away. New York City is not a three-hour yeah. drive away. You know, you you got Denver, and then you got nothing else. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's yeah. I, I, you I know, think like, that's I, been I the think, major I, issue with keeping stars because they've struggled. You know, they lost Melo, Iguodala, J.R. Smith, Iverson, Chauncey Billups, Richard Jefferson, Kenyon Martin. Um, there's a very yeah. long list of guys that, that I mean I'm I'm, I'm not scapegoat I'm, I'm not scapegoating that that idea too that like the gender disparity like, like Google some articles about it it's actually crazy like mm -hmm. the gender disparity like if you're a young like like young millionaire basketball guy and like you're not feeling like you're in the cream of the crop that's gonna bum you out a lot you know like mm -hmm. you're gonna start looking towards New York and be like dang like that's a real thing you know it is all right any yeah. last words any last guys you want to touch on um, there's this guy out of Duke, Grayson Allen, I like to talk about. 
You know what? <laughs> just because you're hating on Grayson so much, this is going to be like Doyle and I in the Raptors. Just because you're hating on him so much, draft Allen first overall. He's going to be the best player ever. Like, feel, hey, feel, feel free, man. Feel free. It's, it's, Holy, it's Holy Field's big board, man. I used yeah. to like the Raptors, <laughs> and then there's this one dude who used to work here who just – He's such a homer, and it kills me inside. <laughs> and now I hate the Raptors. And the same thing happened with the Nuggets, even though that was like sarcastic on both ends. Um, anyway, one, one, one last thought though. Um, you've got a, uh, I think his name's Anafree Simons, uh, the the kid who's Anthony going straight Simons. from high school mm-hmm. at forty two. He's going to go much higher than forty two. These uh, these eighteen year old high school guys who are able to force their way into the draft pool normally go about twenty spots before we expect them to. I can see that. That extra year development yeah. is huge. I'm a big believer exactly. in that. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty proud of the way the big board turned out. It has flaws, but um, considering the disaster that last year's was and the attempt to put it together last year, <laughs> um, I'll, take, I'll take the way this turned out any day of the week. Uh, we're going to have mock drafts coming out. Joe and I are going to do a playoff preview at some point if we can ever find two hours to sit down and really go over <laughs> the teams and the conferences. Um. Because, and there's a big reason for this, if we add it up, um, Sixers, T-Wolves, have they ever been in the playoffs the same year? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe 2001. Like, <laughs> Were the Wolves good potentially? with KG yet? Honestly, like, I, w- I would not, like, I, we're, we're, this is coming at you 10 minutes before the beginning of, the, of this Timberwolves-Nuggets game. Um I, I'm not sure this Timberwolves team makes the playoffs this season. It just it smells like a I mean, classic isn't, Minnesota Isn't stinker. Butler playing tonight? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like I don't not, like rushing a guy back like that. I don't. Nope. I don't either. We we, we 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 might as well have Blair Walsh playing this game. Like we might as well throw Blair Walsh out there. <laughs> Go find Robbie Hummel. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I missed the T Wolves when they were too nervous to sign anyone and they just played 18 European guys. Yeah, it was something, you know. Like <laughs> that team was that team was hilarious. Like it was just such a racist without being racist thing. Like you have NBA teams, you know, probably have two or three black starters at least on each team, and then you have the T Wolves who fir- whose first nine guys, not a single one of them is black. Like well, the, there there were some injury issues that season, but I do distinctly remember starting Ridenauer, Shved, Karolinko, Love, and Pekovic for a few games, and like that's that that sounds like it's hard to do, and you'd be correct. It was very hard for us to do. <laughs> All right, I think we're good. We need to do that playoff pod at some point, but I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, feel free comment on that big board if you have any arguments. I will happily argue back. I love arguing. You'll hate me for it. It'll be a great time. Trust me on that one. Hope you guys enjoyed the pod, and uh, we'll see you next time.